Hello everyone. Welcome to the new session of Software World with Can Dost. This is the show uh, where I invite people to talk about different topics in the software and tech industry. I'm Can Dost, your host today, and we will talk about mobile app development and its challenges at scale. We will focus on how mobile apps and development processes are different in bigger applications, and we will explore how the companies can overcome this these obstacles. My guest today is uh, Frat Karatash. Frat is an iOS engineer at SoundCloud, and he's a friend of mine back from Istanbul. Welcome, Frat. I'm glad that you are here with us today. How are you? You are muted, Frat. Yeah. Hey. Thanks. Uh, yeah, I'm fine. Uh, I had a I had a long day with like bunch of meetings. So finally, I am in another meeting. <laughs> so we can we can talk about some uh, software issues. <laughs> yeah, this is not yet another meeting. It's uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Yeah. Uh, okay. Uh, could you tell us a bit about SoundCloud? You are working at SoundCloud, or for how long, and how big is the company, and how many engineers you have there? Uh, yeah, sure. Uh, SoundCloud. Uh, some of you already know it's a it's an audio platform, uh, mainly targeted uh, to the music makers and music listeners. But like, you can also uh, put all kinds of audio in a place. Uh, like uh, like podcasts for example but it's mainly used for uh, music uh, discovery uh, to be specific so it's a bit different than other audio platforms like music platforms per se uh, so you can explore music uh, you can uh, you can find new genres uh, like anything really um, it's a bit different than the other streaming uh, platforms because it's it also has a uh, social aspect of it so you can actually engage with your uh, fans if you are a musician uh, or you can engage with with people you're a fan of by comments like reposting stuff so you can you can have a one-to-one -one relationship with, with people so it's basically like a YouTube but for audio uh, uh, yeah and I'm working at SoundCloud for almost two years now I guess it's going to be two years in, in a month or so. Um, yeah, I work as a senior iOS engineer at SoundCloud. I am working on the creator organization of the company. So it means uh, I am working on features uh, and projects, mainly targeting to uh, creators such as yourself, Jandos. Uh, so like, for example, we are working on, on the profile profile project which is mainly used by creators because creators uh, like they, they care about their profile, not the listeners, because listeners are usually passive listening users. They just come into the platform and they just consume the content and just leave. They don't really care about their presence, but the creators does. So we are taking care of it. Cool. Nice. How big is the company? Actually, I know you have multiple offices you, or you had maybe pre-COVID times. And how yeah, many engineers do you have? We still have multiple offices. Like the the headquarter is in Berlin, uh, where I'm living at right now. We have a, a second big office, second biggest office in New York, uh, and the third office in Los Angeles. The Los Angeles office actually like 
SoundCloud acquired a company a couple months back. I guess it's almost a year now. So the it, the, office, the the company was in Los Angeles. So since we acquired them, so there's a, another SoundCloud office in Los Angeles. So there, there are three offices, and the entire almost entire engineering team is in Berlin, except the Los Angeles part because they already have their engineering team there. Um, I'm not really sure about how many engineers uh, are there, like exactly, uh, but I, I think it was it was about like 120 to 150, something like that. So I, I don't really know the, uh, the current most current number. Do you know the mobile part at least? Maybe you're aware. Uh, I do. Uh, we have we have around like 18 to 20 iOS engineers uh, and almost similar number with the Android engineers. So it's around like 30 to 30 engineers, uh, mobile engineers. We don't we don't have any other platform uh, rather than uh, Android and iOS. Okay. So we don't have Windows phone engineers. <laughs> yeah, Windows phone supporting is a bit pain, I would say. At least uh, that was my experience. I don't know if they're still releasing new OS versions of Windows phone. I think they are, but uh, I'm not sure. Um, at some point, they there was a, if I remember correctly, there was like a discussion about updating Windows phones to Android, but I'm not sure. Uh, I, I really didn't yeah. follow that part, so I really don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, since you don't have the the other platforms, uh, so you are basically native apps. You're developing the native parts, and what's your current tech stack actually? Like how much? In iOS part, maybe you are not really familiar with Android part, but for mm-hmm. iOS part, how much, like how many percentage you have for the Swift, for example? I know, or I guess you have legacy part from Objective-C. Yeah, yeah, we do. Um, and Swift UI is the next question for that text. Yeah. Um, as far as I remember, we have half and half with like Objective-C and Swift. Uh, we, like, we don't, as like, all the other companies out there, I guess, maintaining the legacy code. We don't create new Objective C code unless we really have to because of because of some dependency. Um, I, I haven't really created any Objective C code so far in the last two years. So we are creating Swift for the uh, everything everything new. Mm-hmm. It comes with the Swift, and I think it's a half and half. Uh, and it's the both projects are entire native projects, so there is no cross-functional. Uh, a cross-platform mm-hmm. cross uh, technologies that we use for the mobile. Uh, Swift UI, uh, we most recently started using Swift UI. Uh-huh. Interesting. Really? Like, yeah. Uh, so, like, since two months or so, like two, three months or so, so we are doing some trials, like some experimentation, which I have some doubts about, like, because I don't really see how it would fit into our current structure, current mm-hmm. architecture. And I would actually like to hear about like how people are maintaining and like changing their architecture to the CFTI because there needs to be some change because CFTI's way of working is a bit uh, a bit like different than what we have right now. So there is still exploration going on. So we we haven't really uh, like decide on a final architecture yet, but we are using CFTI and we are even using Combine as well with it. Ah, yeah. Okay. okay. So yeah, I expect the adoption rate to be a bit lower, to be honest, because it is not a 
as it's it's a really big change and both in architecture and also the language uh between like an from uh, imperative and declarative style changes yeah so yeah. i i expect this switch to take longer than uh other changes we had in ios yeah exactly there's a there's a learning curve actually like like uh, we are using cti and like it's it's something new concept for me and like uh combine is also a, a different concept like programming concept there's also it that things are going slow uh yeah. but uh so far i can tell cti is amazing so it just gives you a lot of uh flexibility and uh, ease of uh, implementation actually yeah. because like it's quite easy to implement such complicated views with the cti um the only concern that i'm having like where can we put this in our current architecture which we use mainly use viper and mm -hmm. the, we, if we put like we can like the whole architecture is built up on a on a basis that we can replace things right so we can we can tackle the items in isolation so every every module can be tackled as a as a as in isolation and they can be replaced but it's not quite possible with cti to replace the view layer of the architecture because of the because of the ownership problem so right now the like if you look at the viper stack i don't know i'm talking like in uh, like in no in go on go on everything is okay you're gone so the when you look at the viper stack the view part owns the other stacks in 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 a tree mm -hmm. yeah if you look at it so the view is owned by owned by the navigation stack mm -hmm. uh, and the, it works perfectly because if the view goes out of the navigation like if you pop out the screen or if you kill the screen everything connected to it just just goes off the memory so it, like everything dies connected to the view but the thing is you don't really push the cvt ui view to the navigation stack as as you would do uh, with the ui kit uh, as far as i know there's some solution apple proposed with like this new ui hosting view controller so it's basically like a wrapper around the cvt ui components mm -hmm. Which is I, I assume I assume it's a subclass of UI view control. So basically, like Apple says, you can put CVTI components into a UI kit component, and yeah. you, you can use them. You can use the architecture. Uh, but again, like the whole system of CVTI is just uh, working great with like root views and everything. Like if you have everything with CVTI, it just works super nice. Uh, I really don't have deeper knowledge about like how we can put inside something we have in UIKit and make it work. I think you have to go like full Swift UI to get the maximum benefit of it. Otherwise it will be pain. It's not like in, uh, adding a Swift uh, to Objective-C project, which was also a hard in the beginning, to be honest. Um, there were like many problems between bridges and etc. I remember the pains in general. And also the updates happened to Swift was um, a lot of breaking changes are happened to Swift. Yeah. And I expect this to happen to Swift UI too, even though it's like a different, I mean, one of one is a framework and other one is language. I understand, but mm -hmm. still I expect that the Swift UI might change a bit 
more. So mm -hmm. that's why I didn't start it yet in any project. And I also wait a bit more. But I have like, uh, since you already adopted this one, what is the minimum iOS version do you support actually? Uh, since last month, it's iOS 13. So uh, we dropped the support for iOS 12, mm -hmm. uh, which was a, a huge topic actually, because like, yeah. we still had some users in iOS 12. And if you are working with like millions of people, it, like even the small percentages makes difference because like, <laughs> those small percentages mean big numbers and those big yeah. numbers mean big money. Yeah, like when you have 10 million users and 1% is using your app, basically it is like hundreds of hundred thousand users and I cannot imagine they are paid users. So it's like, it's a lot of money. Yeah, I mean like that's, uh, that would be uh, a discussion to have. Like, it's not about SoundCloud itself, but generally like if, like the people, interesting enough, like people who pays for the service or, or anything, basically like app or service or anything or subscription, they they are open to adoption. So they pay the money. So they generally speak, generally speaking, like they, they are open to new versions. So they don't really mind updating their software or like or like operating system in that in that regard. So if we think about it in a way, people who still have iOS 12 mm -hmm. don't really care about using uh, free free uh, version of the platform. I'm just speaking out of my out of my guesses. You know, like I don't really yeah. have the numbers. Yeah, yeah, it's okay. Um, so this like the the decision brings me like another question of that. So you said it was a big discussion and. I'm now thinking like how the teams are structured in, in the big scale, because basically what you have is at the end is a one project. It's like one app that goes to App Store or Google Play Store, doesn't matter. But the decision-making process is a bit different in bigger teams because you have many, many teams trying to contribute to the same product. And sometimes they are even... Uh, stepping in each on each other's toes, for example. So mm -hmm. I'm more curious about how you make those decisions. Like, how do you do plannings and these decision makings? So the teams are uh, like I'm, I'm speaking about SoundCloud uh, when I'm when I'm telling about. So I'm not saying this is how it should be, uh, but we have. Uh, we have what we call vertical teams, which includes uh, cross uh, cross functional people, and then these these teams are focused on specific parts of the business. So, for example, my my team is uh, focused on the creative parts, and then we have what we call horizontal teams, which are uh, basically group of people who are working in the in the platform. So, for example, the iOS Collective is one of them. Android Collective is the other one. Um, there's also another horizontal team, which is focusing on the uh, engineering experience topics. So basically, they are working to make our lives easier uh, in the day. Like platform um, engineers. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Exactly. So, though, like they, they have uh, specialized iOS engineers in in that team. So they are working on the tooling that we are using in day to day life. Uh, so the, the team structure is generally like this. So we are spending most of our times in vertical teams and, uh, 
some of our time in horizontal teams and there's a dedicated team working on uh, working on tooling uh, that makes our lives easier so uh, like so i can say the organizations vertical teams like are more like a feature teams that uh, exactly responsible so I, for some specific part of the product yeah exactly so i guess uh, spotify like uh, had a had an article about this so they were calling yeah. them uh, squads mm -hmm. and like in in the bigger organization they call it tribes yeah. uh, I, i don't remember the what they call the horizontal teams Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I think that was the correct terminology there. Mm -hmm. um, but still, so, okay, you have this vertical and horizontal things. And for for example, deciding that you're going to drop IS12, who makes the decision then? Because platform tooling teams need to work on this to change this. As I, yeah. I'm just guessing because it's not a product feature directly. Yeah. But at the end, you are in an IS team on the horizontal side. And how do you make this decision then? So, uh, like this generally goes on with uh, asynchronous communications, which uh, many of the teams are, many of the companies are adopting, uh, as far as I know, recently. So we are using this uh, method, what we call RFC uh, planning process. So uh, it's just short for request for a change. Uh, so usually those platform teams like speaking about the dropping a version or like setting the minimum mm -hmm. version for the for the platform so the platform team creates this rfc and just writes down uh, what they are thinking and why they are thinking this is a good decision for us it was a good decision because we want to do cfti mm -hmm. uh so the strong like the case was strong so they create this rfc and people are commenting on it and Like basically, it's it, it's a cross-functional uh, collaboration on the on the document. So like product people uh, commenting on it, design people commenting on it, mostly engineers are commenting on it. So at the end, uh, the things are discussed there, and unless there is a huge uh, red flag or no no go, uh, this RFC turns into a project in in the team. So. After after that point, team is responsible to convert this into a project. So in usually, this, yeah. So in this case, the developer tooling team is responsible. Yeah, exactly, exactly, exactly. Uh, but uh, like from time to time, uh, platform team is like they're short for like they're short of the uh, resources. So sometimes other teams are helping them to mm -hmm. get things back to speed you know like because yeah. uh they, they are not really like we are a team of 20 ios engineers and 20 mm -hmm. like 20 something android engineers it's really hard to uh it's really hard to keep the speed up you know like with that yeah. many uh, engineers you know like the the demand is high so they cannot do everything themselves um yeah. so, so like time to time the, we help them to uh Get the things back to speed and for specifically ios 12 issue i i, I remember some of the feature team helped the platform team to mm -hmm. drop the support okay so you have this platform team but sometimes you are working on a one change in the feed like vertical teams for example in the feature mm -hmm. team and this change affects the whole app for example um or does it that's a, also a question 
And how do you make this change? How how do you make this happen? Because then you do you hand over to platform tooling because it affects whole app, or mm -hmm. you just go for it? Maybe or do you write an RFC or it, you do you have to maybe? So it's the whole thing. Like in my opinion, not just for Soundcloud, but I, I yeah. think generally it all should start with verbal verbal discussions. You know. Mm -hmm. So for us, it starts with weekly meetings for the iOS collective. So we start discussing the topics there. So we get people's ideas uh, and like, what, what do they think their suggestions? So if it seems like uh, obvious, yes, that people are happy about it. So we just go for it and do it. And mm -hmm. afterwards we create a record of it. So, uh, what, so what like is a, record in that case? So uh, I don't really remember the correct terminology for it. We call it like architectural decision record like yeah idea it's correct yeah it's correct term yeah okay so yeah uh, exactly so we we just put the records after we change something in the in the architecture if it seems like a viable solution for majority in the ios collective mm -hmm. like where we discuss things verbally but it if it seems like there are like second opinions or like uh doubts about what we are talking or like it requires more like it, it requires deeper discussion. So we create an RFC then. So okay. then we can discuss it deeper. So it really depends on how people's reactions uh, to the verbal verbal discussions, which I think it should be generally because like you cannot create an RFC for everything because yeah. it requires time. So if you create an RFC for like, it really depends on how obvious is that change. You know, like if, if it requires some discussions, then yes, but like, if it seems like a uh, obvious yes, then it just like you would just spend time, like waste time creating an RFC, and people probably won't be commenting on it because it's it's just an obvious yes. Yeah. And in that case, we just do it, and then we create a record so that people can see what we have done afterwards. Okay, no, I understand. Yeah, it makes sense. Um, you cannot write RFC for everything, and I think you shouldn't. Mm -hmm. Even if I am really advocating RFC all the time, but it is uh, something that you need to first speak verbally, get an agreement on, uh, or maybe at least get the initial feedback, doesn't matter the topic, and then you can decide to write an RFC or not, depending on the case. Um, but uh, you said your your team or like the, the whole app is architectured with Viper. And now this brings a question to my mind uh, that I recently, recently read the um, 33 mobile app challenges from Gergelio and that Gergeli works in Uber, worked in Uber mm -hmm. um, and they use ribs and they, they rewrote whole app for the, with the new ribs architecture from Uber. They open sourced it later. But why did you choose Viper? That's my question. Like, because I see there are some companies even with bigger apps like Uber before they were using MVC and they decided mm -hmm. to rewrite the everything and they decided to go with ribs. And why did you, if you know, why did you choose Viper? So um, maybe maybe we can start with like, how different are the architectures, like design patterns from each other? Like in my opinion, uh, apart from Apple's MVC, which was a disaster. So the other architectures like MVVM, MVP, Viper, or, or, or whatever you name it. Mm -hmm. So they're, they're basically like, front end like design patterns and they are basically 
they are basically an extension or like a uh, like a next step from the MVC, the original MVC, right? So when you look at the Viper, for example, it's just like you still have the view, you still have the controller, you still have the the model. It's just like you separate those uh, specific components even to more specific components. Like for a controller, you have you have a presenter, you have an interactor, and you have a router. So you separate the uh, controller into three more components. So basically, it's a it's a next step of MVC. Mm -hmm. So to your question, why we chose Viper is, I think it just like, it depends on, it depends on how complicated you need your design pattern to be. So when you look at the Viper, it has like all the components you would need from a, from a mobile application software pattern. But sometimes you don't need them. Like sometimes you don't need a router. Sometimes, sometimes you don't need a like presenter. Sometimes you don't need an interactor. Yeah. So basically, it's like decision choosing the Viper was because we give the tool set to the engineers. So this is the tool set you can use, but you don't have to use all of them. So it can give as much flexibility as we need, but mm. we always make sure that we don't over-engineer the things. So like if you don't need the Viper's router, you just just call it wipe. You know, <laughs> if you don't have to create the R of it, you know, yeah. like this is this is generally the discussion. But I I'm not really sure. Like to be honest, I'm not really sure what uh, rib pattern is. So Ribs maybe you can tell. You. Yeah, maybe you can tell me about like. I'm not really familiar with the bonus because um okay. I I didn't take a deep look into the ribs but what they what Uber was uh, doing at that time they just rewrote from MVC to ribs and they are mostly proud of uh, with the tooling they came up so whatever you create mm -hmm. any any component like maybe new feature they just create everything at once it's not like your case in this case because basically you. So if you have the same tooling with ribs, I just assume that you're going to get Viper parts, like V-I-P-E-R parts every time you want to create a feature. But yeah. it's it's an interesting approach because most of the time companies force the architecture saying that, okay, even if you have a, like a deadly simple uh, feature and you need to create the whole components, whole modules that you need to do, and this is an interesting approach, and I rarely see uh, this, to be honest. Because yeah, I, I mean, like, I don't know, I don't know what's the reasoning behind creating, a, like, for example, I've seen some code as well. Like, they have, they have a, they have one component, like one layer, which is just like a like thinnest layer you could imagine. It's just like getting the data and passing it on, and like sometimes you don't really you don't really need them. Like for example, if you don't if you don't go nowhere else from that screen, you don't really need the router, right? So like you are not routing it anywhere. So why would you have it? You know. Um, but sometimes you need even more uh, components. Like sometimes we even have uh, an additional component to the wiper because like we have so many so many um, inputs coming from the from the user in in that feature so 
we needed an additional component who handles this traffic and mm -hmm. it, it's work as like a traffic junction and like sends the uh, sends the correct information to the place so it really depends on how you need the stuff but generally speaking whatever you do you just like do the uh, dependency injection correctly so that you can <laughs> isolate the things right so like do mvvm do viper do yp whatever you do you just do the uh you just invert the dependency to somewhere that you can actually uh, isolate the things and you inject those things that you need in the in the view so like basically whatever you do do it right so it doesn't really matter if you stick with the viper itself you can but when you do things into the rules like this solid rules in, in per se yeah. so then everything is easy to replace you know like you can replace things you can separate things you can remove some component and just connect it with the other one like uh, you know like yeah I, them. this this reminds me the uh the from the software architecture book um that was it saying that there is no best architecture there is just least bad architecture so you can just aim for the being the least bad one instead of going for the best architecture um the mod this okay this modularization and the making things right brings a, another question uh, for me about testing because when you modularize the app it means that it's easier to test and how do you do testing in, in at scale? Like, I guess you have a tons of automated tests and maybe UI tests and also at QA, like manual testing. How is your testing processes from unit tests to manual tests? Well, we, we have all of them. <laughs> so we have, like, it's like we have unit tests for everything or like almost for everything. Uh, it's, uh, engineers responsible to write the unit tests. We have integration tests as well for, for most of the stuff. We have uh, UI tests, like acceptance tests, mm -hmm. uh, which test the, the entire thing from like end to end. For, and we also for have all many, application, the UI tests? Uh, almost all of it, as wow. far as I know. Like it's, okay. uh, uh, but it's like, it's a whole another topic, like yeah. UI tests are flaky and it's, really hard to maintain them and if you're if you're working on a project with so many different localizations and so many different detail pages it's like it's hard to maintain them and it's usually flaky uh but yeah we have them and we are still maintaining them i'm not really sure how how many percent of the application is covered with the ui tests but it's covering uh, most of the happy pets at least um yeah, we, we also have a manual testing as well, but uh, we don't actually have a internal manual testers, but like mm -hmm. we outsource them to, to a company, they okay. do the testing for us and they send, send back the results. But generally speaking, manual testing is not something that we rely on and which I personally think is, is the correct way. So I, I heard many engineers thinking that they're relying on the manual testing and like they were saying, or if there's something wrong, then the manual testers can catch it. But that's that's just wrong. <laughs> like you should be you should be uh, relying on your own testing and whatever you whatever you just deliver, it should be reliable or like you should be accountable of it. You know, like you should be you should be 
sure about the quality of the of the code not just not just you know uh, the actual technical quality but also how it is protected with the, with the uh, product bugs you know like yeah. you, you can have the greatest code ever like the architecture ever but it's not doing what you want to do so it's just not good <laughs> enough then uh, i think uh, that would be solved with some uh, automated ui test as well uh, but yeah generally speaking I don't believe in like not believing is a strong word, but like I don't really trust manual testing. Yeah, it's uh, human human factor is a tricky thing because when you when you put humans into one task that you want to get the best result, it's often ends up with being less than best. I would say sometimes yeah. you have a really good uh, QA people just can test the app perfectly. <laughs> Like sometimes they can be annoying, yes. <laughs> yeah, I it's mean, just they... software developers speaking. It's like, oh, I I took the phone, I rotated, and I threw it in the air, and then I just <laughs> <laughs> like jumped on it, and now it crashes. It's like sometimes just like quite annoying. Like I'm not saying they are being wrong, but it's just for me sometimes it's annoying. Like the, there was like a, I remember from my old job that there was like a one K engineer just uh, get into the phone by. Uh, get the phone and right before getting into the elevator, just pressed the one picture and <laughs> jumped into the elevator and was claiming that this is uh, the connection was broken and the app is crashing. Is like, and I mean, how can you really test this case? Because you need to like get the computer with you. You need to jump at the same time, etc. <laughs> you need a nice building to to have the elevator. Right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so. Since you have a lot of automated tests, this is like a, of course related to that one, which brings me to CI and uh, CD topic, like continuous mm. integration and continuous uh, development. So I, you are like 20 IS engineers working in the same code base and you have a UI test, you have automated tests, like how long is your pipeline actually? Like you push a change to, let's say you open a PR and, or merge request or pull request, um, and then how much time you wait for it to be the green so you can merge it? So it's it developed a lot, uh, actually, because like we invested a lot in uh, the modularization of the application. So the build times are quite fast right now. And uh, but generally speaking, it really depends on how fast you get the thumbs up from your pull request. But if you're asking what happens after you get the pull request approved, it takes around, I guess, I guess it takes around like uh, half an hour or something. Mm -hmm. it, it really depends on the CI's uh, business. You know, like sometimes it just it's just slow. You know, like it's it's a third party tool we use, and it's just sometimes slow. Sometimes it just cannot parallelize the builds. Uh, but generally speaking, I think it takes around like half an hour or so to get the Get the master green. Ah, that's quite fast. I must admit. Currently, switch into uh, switching master naming to the main uh, naming. Ah, okay. That's so it's, it's a main branch. That's um, I I really must admit that it's fast in the in the big application because I remember my that like our application it takes around twenty minutes and. We were working like two engineers. It was a big app, but the, uh, mm -hmm. the team was really small and it was taking 20 minutes for the build on mid-rise. 
that's yeah as i said i mean like we we invested a lot in uh, modularization of the application so so the build build times are faster which changed a lot like i i don't know how many percent uh, from like from the top of my head but like it's quite faster uh than when i joined so in the last two years so we spent a lot of effort on on making builds faster oh so this is all like um okay um now i understand which, which is quite important actually like if you're working with a huge team with like 20 engineers working on the same same project so you need to you need to make things go you know like you yeah. cannot you can never stop trying <laughs> you should like it's the master or the main branch always has to be green and you have to keep going like because let's say if you have like if your app is slower by 10% it's slower by like your build times are slow slow by 10% it's slow by 10% for uh for every engineer yeah and if it's 10 engineer working on the same thing it's just like you're spending one engineering day for for the same task if it's like 10 times slower for 10 engineers uh and we are working at like 20 <laughs> engineers so yeah. things has to be faster like one minute of the build time for example is equals 20 minutes actually um and mm -hmm. with every build so it is it's quite important and yeah this is this is a tricky point because it's really hard to get it right especially on the ci because there's like Sometimes the tool is messy, like Travis or Bitrise. So you need to set up that one correctly. And then later on, you need to focus on the app architecture to make it correct and modularize. And uh, I don't know, try many different things and you will fade a lot for sure. And that it will be pain. Um, yeah, yeah. It is, I cannot really imagine because modularizing app means many different things. And it, <clears throat> Sorry. And at the same time, when you modularize, then you need to take care of these, how these modules communicate with each other and how do you embed them in the app Then how do you work with those things? And if you create frameworks or libraries or which one do you choose for which case, like making things a lot more complicated than it, it has been before. Yeah. I mean, uh, that's, that's definitely true. Like first, first of all, like for for that kind of complicated architecture. Uh, so in the iOS part, at least I can say that we are using uh, such a super nice command line tool to create the uh, generate the project for us, which solves some of our problems. Uh, some of our problems about the dependencies between the between the frameworks. And for the other part, so we are generally following uh, the dependency dependency inversion principle to inject one framework to the another one so basically so uh, we don't directly use one framework in the other one but we are basically inverting its dependency back to a back to a inter interface so that we only take the necessary parts from one piece of framework to the other one so we are not basically exposing one big framework to the other one because that makes things uh spaghetti and like make things make things quite uh slow in that regard and sometimes you need like like you need something from framework a to framework b and sometimes you need something from framework b to framework a so it, it creates like a dependency cycle which you cannot really do 
So, uh, so like the, the compiler doesn't allow you to, you know, like depend on each other because yeah, it doesn't make sense, right? <laughs> uh, so we kind of solved that problem, creating a rule that we always, uh, if, if we need to pass something from one dependency to the other one, we always inverse, like inverse, in, invert the dependency to, to a higher level framework so that we only pass the necessary parts uh, to the other one. Makes which is sense. generally yeah, which is generally how how things work with any software in any scale. So you shouldn't be depending on you shouldn't be depending on concrete types. Uh, in in our case, concrete types are, are frameworks itself, so concrete frameworks. So you shouldn't be depending on them. You should basically depend on something in higher level, so that you don't you don't really depend on them because dependencies dependencies are hard. So you should be, uh, so you should loosen the connection between dependencies as much as you can, so that you have flexibility, isolation, flexibility and isolation, sorry. Yeah, true. Yeah, I agree. Um, yeah, so now this, uh, when you loosen the dependencies, I, I will come to another point to the releases because, so you, you, at the end, with the CI and everything, you create a one build and merge them everything together. And at the end, you submit this one. And I don't know how you do it. Maybe you have release called, I think it's called release trains, or maybe mm -hmm. two weeks release cycles and etc. But now I'm curious that since many engineers working in, and you modularize everything, how do you merge those things to master or, or main branch, your main branch? And how do you keep the master green in that case so uh we have like first of all every every main branch commit uh, basically triggers uh, an alpha build so every commit has a a new build in the alpha alpha uh, job basically so that's that uh and also like how we are not stepping each other's toes so there are multiple layers of that question. So it starts with the software pattern that we just talked. So if you're like isolating your components mm -hmm. in, into into modules, then it's it's easier to work on. So you're not touching in this same same module as much as you you did. Second layer is the modularization of the application. So we are working with frameworks. So I don't know how many exactly, but like we have, I guess, more than twenty different frameworks in the application in in the entire project. So it's like, for example, my team is working in a in a profile. There is a profile framework that is doing the profile job. So basically, whenever whenever there is a change in the profile, which is done by another team, GitHub warns us that there is a change in the framework, the profile framework. And since we are the owners of that framework, at least one of our team members should thumbs up to to the pr so that it gets merged mm -hmm. so we are always aware of the changes in our framework that we own and but that is the same for every other team so every team has has their own uh framework and they need to thumbs up for for the changes uh, happening there uh, this really looks like the microservice architecture that many of the companies are using in in their in their distributed systems so the the frameworks are owned by the teams basically 
this solves a lot of this solves a lot of problems because we basically isolate a part of the code and gave it to the team and that team since that team is like syncing and talking to each other daily so it's solving that minimal problems in the team so like you don't really work on the same thing like sometimes you do sometimes you have of to course, yeah. solve yeah sometimes you have to solve the uh, conflicts you know like that's yeah. inevitable but uh, we we avoided that problem as much as we could and i think it's for for a for a team of like this i think it's working just smooth so far do you do you work like a, for the releases i'm talking about do you do you have release cycles like weekly two weeks based or yeah we we release the application every week uh it, it used to be two weeks but like it wasn't enough for us because uh because like like people are working on the project right? so they're, they're developing new features and people need like mostly product people needs need those features out like yeah. two weeks is too much for a for a for an app like soundcloud so we changed it to the one week cycle so every week uh, we, we release a new version and uh so there's a release captain every week like it changes every week and release captain is uh release captain is you know responsible for uh, for the for that version but generally speaking like even bigger companies i guess like they have a dedicated for, for dedicated team for uh, for these kind of yeah. issues like testing and release uh, processes but since like soundcloud is not that big yet <laughs> so we are we are basically like delegating the work uh, yeah. to the ios engineers uh, in a rotation basis i think it's still big but maybe not that uh, facebook big let's say um, yeah i mean as far as i know like spotify spotify has like uh, spotify is a huge company right yeah so they have uh they have around like 25 to 30 people just working on the platform related issues you know it's it's a huge number yeah it's like whole uh, soundcloud team in this case <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah so um so you release the app and then of course crashes happen so you cannot avoid as much as we mm -hmm. want and as as many tests you write or you do the manual testing you cannot avoid the crashes and mm -hmm. how do you handle the crashes uh, because i know some companies use feature flags for every literally everything and then when they see a crash they just turn the feature flag off and how do you revert these crashes for example do you have an on call also yeah yeah we have an on call uh schedule for ios engineers ios project as well uh so uh people are yeah, waiting for any problems happening in in the in the production uh yeah we do have uh feature flags so we we hide some of our features behind the feature flag um and it's it's a generally a good tool you know like you can revert things back so like if there's something wrong you can just just take off the feature from the application so everything is good uh but like if it, i i don't know how how would it work with like if you put feature flags in front of everything like that that would be hard to maintain like we don't do that but like maybe it's a good solution. I like I don't really have strong opinion about that. But um, generally speaking, it's a good tool to use because 
not just not just because of uh, disaster aversion, but like it's also nice to do uh, like A/B testing, for example. Yeah. So if you want to do an A/B testing, you can just uh, use remote remote uh, configurations for that. Or like if you want to do a phase rollout for a specific feature, not for the entire application, you can use them as well. Uh, but if, if there is a crash, then it depends on. So if there is an important crash, which we have some uh, pipelines to detect how important is the crash. Okay. Uh, if if it's important to stop stop the release, so we just stop the release at uh, whichever percentage it is. So we use uh, we use App Store's oh. phase rollout. So okay. from one from zero percent to 100% it takes like one week to release the entire version. So we stop the version at that point if, if there's something wrong. And we immediately start working on a hotfix uh, version so we can, you know, like release a new version and continue with the, with the new version uh, after we stop the previous one. Uh, but sometimes it's not as important, right? So it's, such, it's like sometimes it's just affecting very small number of uh, users and sometimes it's really, quite edge case in that mm -hmm. in that uh, case we just wait for the next cycle and this was one of the reasons we actually switched to the one week releases because whatever you have a problem like whatever problem you have about anything it's just, it, it takes one week at most you know yeah true. so after one week you have a new release so the problem doesn't long last long than one week if you can detect the problem yeah, I, yeah, it, it helps to get the feedback early on with the one week yeah. feed, uh, one week release cycles. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, like you don't really have long beta phase in that case. You know, like mm -hmm. if if you have one week release, and if you think about it, like engineers are working like five days a week, you, you don't really have a beta phase that long. So uh, it's just like a trade off. You know, like we shorten the uh, beta phase, but at the same time, like the um, the response time is a lot shorter, like hundred, like hundred percent shorter. You know, like small week shorter than the actual two weeks. Yeah. So we have a question, and do you keep? The, so we talked about the feature flags, and do you keep those flags even after the feature is like measured as stable? And then maybe you said you don't want to do then ABT test anymore, and do you just go and delete them or just leave them as it is as they are? Uh, no, I mean, if, if everything is okay with the feature flag and like, if it's working, we keep them, uh, for a while. I, I don't really remember the actual timing, but I guess it's seven, six months or so. So we have, we have a actual guideline on how to remove the feature flags. So we don't re remove them immediately, uh, because like some people are not updating their application. They select the old version. Um, so I'm not really sure about the timing, but no, we don't delete them immediately. We wait until, until we are sure that everybody's, everybody has the, at least a good majority of the people, the users have the new version. Yeah, that makes sense. I think, yeah. Um, I, I don't remember deleting those flags to be honest, because it, they always stayed there uh, because sometimes we use them to um, up, update them even. So like, so it's not a true and false flag we use. We use Firebase remote config, for example, and we use some timestamps 
And sometimes we updated those timestamps and it helped a lot to keep them as where they are. So, so basically like, like this. So you have one feature flag and one local flag that is working together with the yeah. remote flag, right? Yeah. So you have the same name for it. Mm -hmm. The thing is that if you remove the local flag, which you can, yeah. the next version that people are downloading, installing to their phones, they won't have the counterpart of the remote flag in their version, but that's fine. I mean, they don't need it. Yeah. But the thing is that if you remove the remote flag immediately, then the old like people who still keep the old version, they won't have their counterparts in the remote, uh, yeah. remote configuration. So that's when the things get complicated. So we keep the remote flag until we are sure that everybody get the first build who doesn't like, which doesn't have the local config. You know? Okay. Now I understand. Yeah. It, yeah. It, this way it makes sense. Otherwise you get like weird behaviors. Yeah. True. Yeah. Makes sense. Uh, okay, um, so we are coming to an end almost, and I have one uh, question. I, I didn't check uh, before, but um, you said you have the platform engineering team, and do you also have tools specifically built for use your use cases, but has the, some maybe similar tools on the market? And related to that one, do you, as a SoundCloud, maybe do you open source those tools that people can also use, get the benefit? Uh, like speaking about the iOS platform, I don't think we open source them yet, or I, I don't even know if we are planning to open source them, but we have some, we have some tools. Yes. Like we have, uh, like, as I said, it's a huge project and it's a, it, it requires a lot of maintenance. So we automated some of those manual work into into the script so so that new joiners like they they like they shouldn't uh tackle these like from scratch so or, or like they shouldn't they, they don't have to learn the things from scratch so we have bunch of different scripts for bunch of different uh like issues like i guess at some point we even had like a script for rebasing master <laughs> like i i don't remember why but like there was some specific case for our repo and then we create the script. So the, the platform team is working on those uh, stuff. Like sometimes, like for example, I am working on something like this on my on my uh, free time that I can maybe merge on to our, our code base. Uh, so anyone is uh, free to contribute to those uh, automation. But we gen generally speaking, we have those kind of tools. Like for example, we have a tool to uh, automate the, uh, Automize, automize, automize the, uh, automatize. Yeah, whatever. So, so like to make things, uh, like oh, there's an automation to, uh, uh, create the uh, production build and upload it to the app store. Uh, so, so that we don't have to do all those manual stuff ourselves. So it creates the build and it uploads it. It uploads the like screenshots or whatever. It just, uh, uh, archives the archives the binary and like all those uh, miscellaneous work. It's done by our automation automation tools. Uh, it can be it can be better for sure. I'm 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 quite sure some of the companies has have better tooling for those kind of manual jobs. Uh, but it's uh, 
it's the best I, I've seen so far, to be honest. Uh, but again, that being said, I think it can be better. Of course, yeah, I mean, everything can be better. Yeah, always, everything right? can be better <laughs> always. You know? Yeah. Um, okay, so um, I think that would be all. Do you have anything else to add? Uh, yes. Uh-huh. <laughs> Inverted dependencies. <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding. Uh, yeah, thanks everyone for joining. I hope uh, you enjoyed as much as I did. Yeah, thanks a lot, Frat, for uh, being here. I think people can reach you out via Twitter. Um, yeah, I think I have a link in the description. And yeah, so next week we will talk about the career changes. So we we have another talk and uh, career developments for software engineers. And everyone knows that career changes don't have to be always from engineer to manager. And it can be from management to engineering as well. And my friend Toby us, uh, will be here with us next week. And he's an engineer at the moment, and he, but he worked as an engineering manager for a while, but he decided to go back to engineering. And we will talk about the career plannings next week. So until that time, thanks for joining us. Thanks for being with us. And thank you, Frat, for being here. It was a really pleasure, and I really enjoyed this talk. Yeah, me too. Bye-bye. See you, everyone. <laughs>